0: Welcome to Voices of Experience, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. Today on VOE, we're discussing point of view for profit. Our first guest, Randy Gage, will discuss effective thought leadership. It may not be what you think it is. Next, we'll be joined by Mark Schaefer, who will discuss marketing rebellion. Last but not least, Kelly Swanson will share where you can go to punch up your talk with humor, NSA's Laugh Lab. Let's get started. On this segment of Voices of Experience, we have Randy Gage. Now, Randy Gage has more experience than probably most of the speakers we're going to hear from this year because he has spoken to more than 2 million people across 50 countries. Randy, welcome to Voices of Experience. Great to be on. Do you ever sleep? 50 countries, 2 million people? When do you rest?
1: (laughs) On planes. That's when you (laughs) sleep. That's what planes are for.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. So that's great. But I'm really excited that you're going to talk today about thought leadership because this is something that you are excellent at and you've branded yourself as a thought leader. So my first question for you is, when we think of the term thought leader, we hear it thrown around a lot. Why is it important for professional speakers to be thought leaders,
1: though? Because if you're not a thought leader, you're a commodity. Mm. You're going to be getting considered for convention slots, for... uh, uh, industry, symposiums, whatever the case. And then the budget's gonna come out. You say, ah, oh, geez, you know, we're sixty thousand dollars over budget, you know, can we can we cut some of those speakers and then and ultimately it's gonna come down to well, should we eliminate the tote bags? <laughs> Or cancel these four breakout speakers.
0: Oh, no, not us or a tote bag, Randy. Is it (laughs) like that? And let me tell you
1: something. The tote bags are always going to win. Oh, no. Right? But if you're a thought leader, you're never under consideration being cut. Because you're the opening keynote presenter or you're the closing keynote. There's conferences that I'm the, they build them around me. I've been the opening keynote speaker for 10 years or Mm -hmm. for 14 years. And they don't even book the next date, the next year. They'll call me and say, okay, we're thinking, we're setting the dates for 2022. We want to know, are you going to be available this week? Right? Because, but if you're a commodity, if you're just an expert, if you're well-known, well, you know. It's going to be well. Do we have the sponsored bar or the speaker? Do we have the tote bags or these breakouts? Do we have the uh, amenity on the pillow with the welcome gift for everybody, <laughs> or keep this extra speaker? And if you're a thought leader, mm-hmm. they're bringing you in because you're you're the you're the 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 woman or the man who makes. People think differently to cause them to ask questions, to, to question the premise, uh, not just give a pretty PowerPoint deck or, mm-hmm. or recite the, the, the universal truths that everybody already knows. They right. can get that anywhere. Right. A thought leader, you can't get that anywhere.
0: Well, let me ask you this then. Is there a difference between an expert and a thought leader?
1: Huge, huge monumental massive difference okay there's a million experts right so if you do interest this came up we had the million dollar speakers group yesterday and Shep was mentioning his uh, new, uh, I think his book's already out, but he had sent it to his um, agent. And the agent came back and said, listen, this this really seems like opinion. You know, mm-hmm. where where's the research that supports all this? So he talked about a, a service he uses that kind of does research. And they went out and they researched and then they included all this supporting doc- data in there. Uh, and I think that's great what he did, um, but if my agent asked, me, told me, mm-hmm. and I love my agent, but if my agent told me, well, you know, this book sounds, it just seems like opinion, I would say, well, of course it's opinion. That's why I wrote it. Mm. That's why people buy it, because they want to know my opinion. An expert... So, Napoleon Hill, that's the expert model. Okay. Okay, Napoleon went out and he talked to 50 people and Firestone and Carnegie and, uh, you know, this guy and that guy and this lady and that, you know, and he put them all together. That's an expert. Mm-hmm. But anybody can do that. And there's lots of people who do that. Anybody can recite. Information. What okay. you need is people who can, and Shep does this. That's why Shep is this is Shep Hagen I'm talking about. He's gifted enough that he can say, "Okay, there's the data, but here's what the data means." He's translating. Yeah, and and causing you to think to say, "Okay, if we know that this trend is happening, how will this affect your business in the future?" Let's explore some of those possibilities.
0: So what's interesting about what you said was that not only is a thought leader presenting their own thoughts on a topic, but they're challenging those that are listening to them to shift their thinking as well. So you're, you're also managing others' thoughts. So if anyone who's listening right now, for those people that can take an honest moment of self-reflection, there's some people that are listening to this saying, I'm not a thought leader yet. Are there three actionable things you would recommend that they do to get started on the road to becoming a thought leader?
1: You have to become a critical thinker. Okay. And that's just not taught in our world. Mm -hmm. How to think is not taught. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with our whole education system from pre-K to PhD is they're teaching kids what to think. Mm -hmm. They're... Asking them to memorize facts that they could look up in their smartphone in three seconds. Mm-hmm. Do we really need to memorize, you know, what year this war from this year to that year do we need? You know, these are useless trivia. What we're not teaching kids is how to think. So probably most people listening were never taught how to think. And okay. so you actually have to study how to think. And okay. then you you learn the second thing I think most important is you got to question the premise. Okay. Because if the premise is wrong, everything that comes off of the premise is wrong. Okay. So when they say, you know, the economists are predicting that the Fed is going to lower the prime interest rate by a quarter percent, and that's going to, you know, okay, so... Oh. That's a premise, but maybe that premise isn't true. Hmm. Maybe when they lower the rate, this is going to happen. Maybe when they lower the rate, that is going to happen. So a critical thinker is someone who questions the premise okay. and says, well, how do we know that's true? And what if that isn't true? Okay. And if it wasn't true, how would it be different? And that's not a, you know, the, the, my mantra is, If you ask the wrong question, Mm -hmm. then the answer is irrelevant.
0: That's a good point. So it sounds like then the first step is for them to start thinking critically. second step is to question the premise. So they might have to look at some of the premises for their topic and start questioning those. What would be the third action step to becoming a thought leader?
1: Then ask better questions.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because
1: that's the real... Uh, Like this mastermind session we were doing yesterday, that's always the first thing I look at. Okay, when somebody presents a question, is that really the question Mm -hmm. we want to answer? Because, if again, if it's the wrong question, then the answer is irrelevant. So
0: we're talking here about becoming a thought leader, but one of the things that you have done extremely well is leverage the media in showcasing your thought leadership. Can you share a couple ways that speakers can leverage the media to get more business by leveraging their thought leadership, there's a couple actionable steps that they can take.
1: Yeah, make predictions. Okay. Be bold, uh, question the premise, do this stuff on social media, right? Mm. Have a podcast, have a blog. Uh, have be on the social media network sharing your podcasts and your blogs and your thoughts and then that will get you followers that will attract you a tribe uh, and then you can leverage that for the, uh, the rest the regular called the mainstream or the the traditional media. Uh, The point is, you don't really need to be quoted in Forbes magazine anymore because you can go direct to your audience. You don't really have to be on NBC anymore because you can create your own YouTube channel. But what you'll find is if you really create valuable content, Mm -hmm. you'll get all of that. You'll have your channels of of communication where you're connecting with your tribe. And it's going to bring you to the attention of the other media, and that's where they're mining for stories, right? right now they're looking for what's hot on social media they're looking for who's on podcast and youtube channels that are killing it i mean if you take there are you know podcasters like joe rogan and youtube people who have uh, there's youtube shows that have more viewers than the number one nielsen rated show every week that's true there's podcasters that i mean that dwarf the numbers of being on CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, uh, Sirius XM, radio, you know, any radio network. I mean, this is the new reality of the world today. We can go direct to our tribe and um, that's how I do it. You know, I built my business from the ground up. I'm I'm putting out content on a conu- you know continuous basis
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is that's remarkable, which right. means people remark about it, Okay. Right? So people remark about this and so most of the bookings I get as a speaker is that they I don't get them through bureaus I don't Mm -hmm. get them through the traditional ways Mm -hmm. we get a call from the somebody at the company and they say you know the CEO listens to your podcast and he wants us to bring you in for the convention or you know the VP of marketing read your blog and you know she said we should bring you in to be the opening keynote for all of our you know our sales convention so we can do that in this new world today
0: so it sounds like what You've just taught us everything about becoming a thought leader is that at the end, a thought leader can write their own check. They're basically creating a system so that people are contacting them because you're no longer that commodity. Randy, thank you so much for joining us on Voices of Experience.
1: Thanks for having me on. Thanks, everybody, for listening.
0: We'll next discover how to amplify our thought leadership even more using the power of word of mouth. We are very lucky to have Mark Schaefer with us. Now, Mark, is he has kind of an interesting story here in that he's written seven books. He holds seven patents. So, obviously, seven is his lucky number. He might want to head on over to Vegas. What do you think, Mark? Yeah,
2: that's what I think, too. I think (laughs) I'm on a roll. The seventh book came out. It's a a sign.
0: I I agree with you. But before you head on over to Vegas, Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us about the marketing rebellion. My pleasure. So my first question for you is that you said that now our customers are now our marketing departments. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, it's something that's really been evolving for some time now that companies have less and less control over the sales funnel, Hmm. and over the customer journey. And we still have those things in our PowerPoint slides, but that's not really how the world works anymore. Hmm. And research shows that two-thirds of our marketing is not our marketing. It's occurring without us. It's occurring with our customers through Hmm. word of mouth, through social media, even through influencers and reviews. And so what I challenged people to think about in the book and what I challenged people at my talk at NSA was to think about how do we get into that two-thirds? It's a new way to think about marketing. That's where the action is really taking place today. And that's where it's going to take place even more in the future as the digital natives come on board. And uh, so it's it's a challenge because you can't buy your way in like you used to in the advertising days. You have to be invited into these consumer conversations. And it requires a new strategy and a new mindset.
0: Well speaking of this mindset and building these connections, one of the other things you should talk about is human impressions. What are human impressions and how do speakers specifically build them?
2: Well I think specifically speakers are in a really good position uh, because more important today than a corporate brand is the personal brand. Mm-hmm. I think that in many cases, the personal brand is the corporate brand. And people are buying products because they have an emotional connection to a person, to a founder, to somebody at that company that sort of speaks to them. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of legacy brands are in decline. Because who's the person that we love at Procter & Gamble or at Unilever? Who's mm-hmm. the face of, you know, uh, Ivory soap or something like that. And so we're going local, we're going artisanal, because we want to buy from people that we know and trust and see are active in our community. So one of the things I talk about is that businesses and brands of the past were built on advertising impressions, Mm -hmm. but in the future, they're going to be built on human impressions.
0: Wow. And that's a totally different way of thinking
2: yeah it really is and it's it's energizing for mm-hmm. some people it's threatening to some people so, so I would imagine some yeah. people
0: would be terrified because yeah. it, it really requires you instead of just setting out an image now you have to try to figure out how to hook other people mm-hmm. and really as you said be invited into their space well I think
2: to be in marketing today perhaps you have to be in sort of a constant state of terror. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's changing so much. Right. And you have to completely just just adapt and be very humble and just look at what's really happening now, what's really working now. And that's unlike many other fields. Accounting doesn't change that much, and finance doesn't change that much. But to be a speaker today, you have to be a marketer, and you Mm -hmm. have to be a salesperson. And so you have to be humble and sort of be in a constant state of reinvention to think about what works. And I think that's why my idea in this book, Marketing Rebellion, has really played so well with people. They really have accepted it and, and understand it.
0: So when you're talking about, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of using that whole adapt or die lingo um, yeah. in a way because you're saying we have to constantly shift. And, and that's certainly different than what speakers had to do for many years, because mm-hmm. some, for some of us, that canned speech worked for 15 plus years. So my question to you is, can you share maybe two concrete actions that you would suggest speakers take to leverage conversations around their brands? Well, I
2: think um, two things that I, would, that I would point out. First of all, We really have to work on our personal brands today, and we have to work on on how to be known. If you're known, you have a permanent competitive advantage because Mm -hmm. they'll pick you over somebody else, maybe even at a higher price, because you're a known quantity and people talk about you. So being systematic and mindful about building the personal brand is the most important thing that you can do. And so there are some steps that you can take to do that. You have to really think about where you fit in the world and what you want to be known for. Mm -hmm. You have to think about how you want to tell that story, where you want to tell that story, Mm -hmm. and where your audience is. And so I encourage people to really have a plan for that. Don't just let things happen on your personal brand, but be really mindful and, uh, and systematic about it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would suggest is to not over rely on technology. Okay. We've become lazy marketers in some ways that we look for the technology easy button. We want to mm-hmm. automate things that we shouldn't automate. Okay. And I think people want today and they're seeking today some sort of personal connection. So I challenge people to think about how can you be more human in everything you do? Every phone call, every engagement, every speech, every customer interaction. How can we show our face, our smiles, our passion, and really connect to people in a way that will build that bond that will lead to business benefits over time?
0: So it sounds to me like what you're saying is, is that you know I, many of us have heard before about the importance of automating things. And, I, and there's certainly processes yeah, there's, and probably Well, still. there's a place for but that, sure. It sounds like what you're saying is those automatic thank you for your tweet messages that we see going out and things like that, that doesn't sound like the way that you're suggesting that we build those personal impressions with people. But
2: we we live in a way today that people are so sophisticated when it comes to technology, they can tell when it's fake. They can sniff it out in, you know, a hundred characters. Right. And so when you do the extra effort and you do connect in a personal way, that really means that much more Mm -hmm. we need to use technology in a way that takes down barriers between people Mm -hmm. instead of raising barriers between people and when you automate things and use algorithms Mm -hmm. you have a risk of creating a barrier that people just know you're not being authentic. And if you could use technology in a way to make you more approachable, mm-hmm. more accessible, more fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, more human, that's the way to use technology.
0: Understood. Mark, I just want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing this wonderful information that will really help us build better relationships going forward as speakers. Thank well, you thank for thank being Thank you so
2: much. It's been a delight. Thank
0: you. Now that we're brilliant thought leaders who others can't stop talking about, let's discover where we can go to keep audiences laughing through our brilliance. With us today on Voices of Experience, we have the Kelly Swanson, who just happens to be the chair of NSA's upcoming Laugh Lab. Kelly, thank you for joining us on Voices of Experience. Hey, you're welcome. It's nice to be here, and I'm actually
3: co-chairing it with Patrick Donatio, so I want to give him equal cred, if I may. Oh,
0: that's perfect. We definitely want to make sure that we mention Patrick in here. So my first question for you, it's Laugh Lab. Why is humor important to speakers? Why should they even be concerned with Laugh Lab? Sure. Humor is very important. A lot of us already realize that if
3: we're funnier, um, it makes a difference, but we don't always translate that into how that actually can make us more money. Um, I've had meeting planners tell me and bureaus that the funny speakers tend to be more popular and to get uh, booked more. Uh, There are articles in Forbes magazine and other places that say humor is one of your strongest assets in terms of engaging and connecting with your audience. And Chris, to just put it in a real simple way. I think a lot of times as speakers, we think that the magic is in selling and marketing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean to downplay that, right. but your speech is your product. It's your craft. And there is no better marketing than, than word of mouth spinoff referrals and, and excuse me, the mar- no better marketing than a speech that knocks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And I would venture to say that it's not even the content or the speech itself that's the product, but the experience you create with your audience. There are many ways to create an amazing experience that gets you that spinoff business, but humor by far is one of your strongest assets. So that's why Laugh Lab matters
0: so much. It's not about just adding a joke or two. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's really about upgrading the entire talk and potentially getting more business. Now, all of us, we live in all different cities. There's a million different comedy workshops. Why is Laugh Lab different?
3: Um, for many different reasons. I've been to a lot of comedy workshops and read the books and taken the classes and I would always get frustrated because I would walk away with a notebook full of formulas and suggestions and worksheets and I never could really go back to and process and apply them. And being in that we're in such a data overload world anyway, when we created Laugh Lab, it was really important to us to give you the opportunities to sit and process and apply it to your own material while you're actually there with your presenters acting as facilitators and helping you work through the material. I've actually done something I think is pretty radical when it comes to a a lab. No presenter is getting more than five, or 10 minutes to actually present. The rest of the time is deconstructing, um, working through it in small groups, an actual intensive hands-on lab. And we've also worked really hard to start the experience before the lab, continue it there, and of course, follow up with it so that you really get to a funnier version of your speech or your marketing or your PowerPoint, whatever that is, when the experience is over. I've also gathered, about 15 i think it is 12 to 15 of the funniest people i know in this business who you probably don't know and i think that's often exciting is to hear from people who we haven't heard from before who are killing it out there and i've also chosen people crystal who
0: know how to teach it which is which is critical right right so it sounds to me like this is an amazing opportunity because as you mentioned you know We oftentimes go to workshops and events and NSA has so many great events that help us with like our sales and marketing and storytelling and all those things are great. But I know when it comes to sales and marketing, if when you're delivering, you're not delivering at the same, if you're not delivering at a high level or a level where the audience is connecting with, it doesn't matter how great your sales and marketing systems are. So this sounds like a wonderful, another wonderful opportunity to polish our craft. Now, if someone's interested in attending Laugh Lab, how do they sign up, Kelly?
3: Um, they go to the NSA uh, NSA speaker uh, website and under the events page, there'll be a listing for Laugh Lab. It's April oh, 17th through 19th, I think, in Phoenix at the NSA headquarters. So that's a real cool experience um, in and of itself. But I'm sure they could reach out to anybody with NSA and be guided in the right direction.
0: To learn more about Laugh Lab and sign up, visit NSAspeaker.org and click on the events tab on the upper right-hand side. Thank you for tuning in to Voices of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. Catch us on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and NSA's social media profiles. Tune in for our show next week when we'll discuss, you talking to me, customization and accessibility.